So I want to um, begin this morning with a parable. I'm going to call this the parable of the pies. I have two slices here of delicious egg custard pie. I did not make it, disclaimer. David bought it for me. I said, I need a pie. And he bought me a pie. So I have two slices of pie here so that I can tell the parable of the pies. And one slice, more? So one slice is just, you know, a normal slice of pie, a delicious slice of pie. And the other slice of pie, well, it's kind of an abundant life slice of pie. So, if this slice of pie is life, and this ooey gooey slice of pie is abundant life, which piece would you like? Abundant life. Ding, ding, ding. That is the right answer. Thank you, Mike. But as you might imagine, I don't really want to talk about pie this morning. What I really want to talk about is abundant life this morning. So let's begin with some scripture. If we go way back to the beginning in Genesis, and you don't need to open there. We're just going to kind of start there this morning. Good morning. If we go back to Genesis 2, we read there that God breathed into us and gave us life. That was our beginning. And then later, Jesus would come and add to that life, abundant life. So that's what we're going to read together this morning from John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. It's also going to be on the wall. There's Bibles in the rows. Speaking of a Bible marathon, everyone is going to be focused this morning on this passage from John chapter 10. And we're going to begin at verse 7. And when you've arrived there, would you stand please for the reading of God's word? John chapter 10, starting at verse 7, one of my favorite chapters in all of this beautiful book. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So right away we see that it's another parable. It's not a pie parable. This time it's a sheep parable. And I want to make one thing clear right off the bat here. Jesus isn't really talking about sheep, just like I wasn't really talking about pie. Jesus is talking here about us. We are the sheep. We know this is true from that beautiful psalm, Psalm 100. Most of us probably memorized it as children. Psalm 100, verse 3. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, so let us enter his gates with thanksgiving. So, now you understand the parable that Jesus is about to share. Let's go back and start again with verse number seven. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We may be seated. So um, I'm not going to tell you the Greek word that Jesus is using here for this word full, um, but we, we understand that he wasn't speaking English that day. He was uh, speaking probably in Aramaic, and then it was translated into Greek, and, and now it comes to us today, and we're trying to understand what was he intending to say when he said he came to bring life to the full. The word he's using here is it's referring to something that's not absolutely essential to life, but it's something that's super added. Something that's super added. I call that squirty foam, by the way. I don't know what you call it, but squirty foam, right? Super added. And Jesus wants to super add things to make our lives all that God planned them to be. Hallelujah. So here's the question that you think I'm going to ask you, that I think you think that I'm going to ask you. The question you think I'm going to ask you is probably, which life are you experiencing? Bare existence life or life to the full? And you've probably already run ahead in your mind. You're probably not even listening to me at this point because you're, you're thinking, oh my goodness, how could I possibly squeeze anything else into my life, right? I know some of you are thinking that. You have responsibilities, jobs, homes to take care of, kids and grandkids to raise, lawns to mow, homework to do. So how will it be possible for you to squeeze anything else in to experience abundant life as a hardworking, responsible person? Or maybe you're thinking, I've gone through a really tough time in my life. How can I ever live life to the full again? Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I really deserve abundant life. You don't know all about me. Or maybe you're thinking, am I going to have to change the way I'm living in order to experience abundant life? Enough said. Or maybe you're thinking, I have to work with a lot of difficult people. How can I ever experience abundant life? And that is a biggie, isn't it? Will working things out with others be required? I want to know before I sign on the dotted line, right? There's no debate. Jesus is very clearly telling us here that he came to give us abundant life. And he wants us to experience love, joy, peace, strength, righteousness, holiness. You knew holiness would make its way into this message, didn't you? Because every sermon is a holiness message, right? There are things that we need to do, though, things that we need to do in our everyday life that will enable us to experience the abundant life that Jesus is offering us, the abundant life that he's talking about here today. We do want it. We do want abundant life. Every single one of us, right? 
We just want it to come easily. Please, Lord, let it be easy today, right? Basically, what we're looking for is a life hack. You know what life hacks are? Life hacks. We see them on Pinterest or on Facebook, if you're on those things, on TikTok. Life hacks are simple ways to make your life easier and better. Little tips and tricks to make your life easier. And some of them are really cool and really clever, and some of them just don't work at all. You know what I'm talking about. Um, one little trick, take a little sticky note and run it up under and through the keys on your keyboard to pick up all the dust. Yeah, you, you know that one. You know that life hack, okay? Many times when people introduce us to a life hack, they say something like this. Do this, and it will forever change your life. Yeah, they, they make a big deal about these life hacks. Um, if you're ever stranded on a desert island, it would seem that perhaps all you need to survive would be vinegar, Dawn dishwashing soap and dryer sheets. Right? That's kind of what the life hacks would like us to believe. But surely, surely we can do better than just standard life hacks this morning, right? So um, here's something I'd like to call a Christian life hack let your microwave do the talking. Now, some people love this idea. It's not for everybody, but, but some people like the idea of taking their microwave cooking time, whether it's four minutes or 30 seconds if you're in a rush, right? Um, there are people who like to use that cook time to live out Philippians 4, 6, and you know that verse. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. And so... Um, it's this clever reminder. Oh, the microwave is going. It's the reminder to pray. And now, with the invention of washable window markers, we can take it a step further, and we can actually write things on the window of our microwave. Has anyone ever done this? I haven't done it yet, but I, I totally need to do this, because it just seems like, what a great idea. So you can remind yourself to pray. You could even... Um, why not tape someone's picture to the door of your microwave or, or write something who, who you're praying for? So it's not exactly going to get us to praying without ceasing, but maybe it's going to be a little start. Little little Christian life hack there. It's just thrown into the sermon for free. Take it if you want it. But before I get too far down into the grass of this life hacks rabbit hole, I really want to go back to page one of my sermon. I said, the question you think I'm going to ask you is, what life are you experiencing? Bare existence life or life to the full? But that really wasn't the question that I wanted to ask you. The actual question that I want to ask this morning needs to be, what is life to the full? How did God create us to live? And what are our lives supposed to look like? What is this full life, abundant life, supposed to look like? So for that, we're going to take a quick trip way back to Genesis, and we're going to review God's plan for life. 
Now, this is where people start to zone out. I know that story. I've started reading the Bible through in a year 63 times every year that I've been alive, and I never make it past Genesis, but I do read Genesis. I know there's people out there thinking that, right? So don't zone out on me here, because remember the Princess Bride and um, Andre the Giant said, you keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Maybe that was Inigo Montoya that said that. Anyway, want to make sure we know what these words mean. So back in Genesis, God created man, and man was alone. And we tend to zip right over that. We don't think anything about that. Like, what does that mean? He was alone. He was with God. He had perfect fellowship with God. I mean, that doesn't sound like alone to me. The way Adam was alone was he was alone in his relationship to God. There were no other human beings to share that relationship to God with him. And he was alone in his mission to be God's image bearer and to build God's kingdom on earth. And God knew that man needed someone to join him in the walk of faith. And so here's the crux of this story. God knew that man could not be alone and fully represent God's Trinitarian three-in-one nature. A solitary image bearer would have been incapable of revealing that kind of God to the world, right? And so God created a team. He gave Adam a partner that would team with him, not just to make more partners, right? That's a side detail, right? God gave Adam a partner to team with him to show the world the God who delights in rich, mutual fellowship and self-giving love. You cannot show the world self-giving love by yourself, right? God's vision for humanity is that all of us would embody his oneness and that we would do that together. So we are a body, not merely individuals. We show the world what God is like by how we interact with one another and value one another and build his kingdom together and move towards that Trinitarian style oneness. Jesus prayed about this in the high priestly prayer. He asked that God would make us one as he and the Father were one. So this this beautiful verse that we quote so often, John 10.10, which I'm going to read again, did not spring up out of nowhere. It's not just something that, some wisdom that dropped out of the sky. John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus was speaking this verse in the context of a flock of sheep. A flock? Is that the right word? A herd. A flock. A flock. Okay. Jesus is talking about the whole flock together experiencing abundant life together. So we really don't need life hacks. And we don't really even need Christian life hacks, right? 
We need abundant life hacks. Abundant life. The life we live out together as God's flock. So let's look at some regular old life hacks. Regular old life hacks. And let's see if we can turn them into abundant life hacks. Are you game to make that transformation today? Let's use some abundant life hacks to find out how it is that Jesus wants us to live out this abundant life. So here's a good life hack. Life hack number one. If you can't say anything nice, right. So how many of you can still remember some of the hurtful things that kids said to us or about us in middle school or high school? Or yesterday, <laughs> right? So I discovered something this week that might help us. It purports to be able to help us. I, I could not believe this when I saw this, but they actually sell a full life planner. Actually, they sell an NIV life hacks Bible too, but I wouldn't go there. Uh, nor, nor do I think we need to buy this full life planner because I think we have a full life planner right here. Amen. But here's one of the chapters in the full life planner. It's called 11 Instances When You Should Not Say Anything. Would you like to hear some of them? When you're bragging instead of sharing, you should not say anything. And when your comment is more about you than others, good advice. But if we take this basic life hack and want to turn it into an abundant life hack, we need to actually look at Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 a fair bit. So you might, if you have ribbons in your Bible, uh, you might stick them in there, one in John 10 and one in Ephesians 4. You might stick a finger in there. You might just stick um, a gum wrapper out of your purse or something. Or you might just listen as we go to Ephesians 4, 29, one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. That's the abundant life hack. And it was invented 2,000 years ago by St. Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't just not say anything at all, but say something that builds others up, and it will bless all who hear. We know that the tongue has the power of life and death. We've felt it, haven't we? Our words can either tear someone down or build them up. So we want to be sure that our words are building others up. We want our words to infuse life into others. How's that for an image? Open your mouth and infuse life. All right, you ready for life hack number two? Life hack number two, brought to you by Marie Kondo and her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Have you heard of this? She says that you should get rid of stuff 
that no longer brings you joy. Have you heard that? Get rid of the stuff that no longer brings you joy. So she teaches that you should hold up each of the items in your house and, and just think about that item and see if it sparks joy in you. You've, you've heard of this. You've maybe done this. And some people have even joked that they've gotten rid of everything from vegetables to electric bills to the vacuum cleaner to their children. Of course, they're just joking about that, kids. We would never get rid of our children. But really, Marie, really, world, what we most need to get rid of, here's the abundant life hack. We need to get rid of sin. You know the verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's Hebrews 12.1. So here's a question, life hack number two here, that we've turned into our abundant life hack. Are we holding on to things that are keeping us from joy? Is there any sin in your life that's keeping you from living the abundant life that Jesus came to give you? If something has come to mind, that's God talking to you right now. And, and you know that even for us Christians, sin does sometimes want to try to creep into our lives and entangle us. And we know that we need to take care of that the moment that happens. Because if we're entangled and we're trying to run a race with something tied around our feet, we are not going to get that gold medal, Tony. Nope. We are going to fall flat on our faces. Sin needs to be dealt with if we're going to live an abundant life. So, sorry, there's no quick and easy life hack for that. When God points it out, we need to admit our sin and ask God to forgive us. And speaking of forgiveness... Here's another life hack. Life hack number three. Always fold or hang up your clothes immediately after taking them out of the dryer. When that buzzer buzzes, you run down or up or wherever your laundry room is. Do not leave those clothes in the basket. You know why. Because as they cool down, they're going to get wrinkled. Who likes wrinkled clothes? Nobody. All right. So here's the life hack. Always hang or fold up your hang up or fold your clothes immediately. Good life hack. You might even need to um, if you don't do this, if you don't use this life hack and your clothes get wrinkled, you might need to pull out an iron. Now, I brought this with me because I know that there are probably some young people here today or maybe watching, maybe not so young people who don't own an iron. If you don't own an iron, you really need this life hack. You can't just leave your clothes wrinkled in the basket, right? But if you don't have an iron, this is what it looks like. You can buy them at Walmart. They're readily available. And uh, we won't get into distilled water or tap water or any of that today. But um, here's the thing. We do not want, this is where we're turning the corner to the abundant life hack, we want to take care of things with one another right away. We don't want to let issues between us sit in the basket and start making wrinkles in our relationships because there ain't no iron big enough 
to fix wrinkles in our relationship, right? Only God can do that for us. By the way, um, this is a free life hack. You should not try to iron your clothes while you're wearing them. Just, just a little, little safety reminder, because we want to be safe. So here's the deal. Maybe somebody hurt our feelings, or maybe we hurt their feelings, and we don't do anything about it. Many times it isn't even intentional, but we just let it sit there in the laundry basket and fester. Or we get mad at somebody, and instead of talking about it and working it out, we just stay mad, and then our relationships are broken, and bad feelings take over. And again, ain't no iron big enough to get those kind of wrinkles out. And I get it. I've heard the joke, people are hard to trust. There's two reasons why we don't trust people. Say it with me if you know this one. First, we don't know them. Second, we know them, right? But God, we can trust. And his word teaches us to deal with issues in our relationships right away. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Hmm. So we will get angry, apparently. We just can't let the sun go down on that. But it will happen. We do have emotions, and sometimes those emotions and how we express them affect others, and it determines how we respond. Are we going to respond in a Christ-like manner or not? And if we don't, then how do we go back and fix that? Because if we harbor anger against one another, it turns into bitterness. And you all know people who have let these things turn into bitterness in their lives. So how do we deal with bitterness? Well, sugar is the life hack for bitterness. Sugar, salt, and fat, these are the things we add to our soups and our coffees and things if, if they're bitter, right? So sweetness can help smooth out the bitter corners of a dish. You've heard about people who add sugar to their spaghetti sauce when they're making it. Highly recommend that. It does work. Uh, add sugar to the coffee. Oh, Brian is shaking his head at me. We'll have to talk Italian food later, Brian. Um, and maybe, maybe you don't put sugar in your coffee. Maybe you like bitterness. Apparently, some people do. I like to put a little sugar into my coffee and cut the bitterness. So add a spoonful of sugar to the bitterness. Uh, what is the best sugar for relationships? Kindness and forgiveness. Ephesians again. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So whether you're the one who hurt the other or if you're the one who was hurt, pick up the phone and talk to the other person. Bring the hurt out into the open because the other person might be clueless. Broken relationships, hurt feelings, and unforgiveness and anger. They rob us of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Do you remember the story of Corey Ten Boom? 
Her family had been helping the Jews to escape the Nazis during the Holocaust by hiding them in, her, in their home. They were caught. They were arrested. Um, the father died in the initial custody of the Nazis. Uh, the others were sent to Robinsbrook concentration camp where all but two of them died. Corey and her brother were the only uh, two of her family to, uh, to live through that time. Corey was eventually released, and she would travel all around the world preaching the powerful message that God's love and forgiveness is stronger than hate. I love that. I loved Corey Ten Boom. She's no longer with us, but I look forward to meeting her in heaven. One day she was speaking at a church in Munich, and she looked out and she saw, she recognized one of her former guards. And all she could see was the blue uniform. And, and she just got cold inside. What was this man doing here? And here, here she was standing there preaching that God's love and forgiveness could conquer hate. So I want to read to you what happened next. Some of you have heard this story, but it's a great story. It's a story worth hearing again. Corey froze. She recognized that face. A few years ago, he had been wearing a blue uniform and carrying a short whip, a cruel sneer on his face. The man stuck out his hand. Thank you for that message, Miss Ten Boom, he said. It's so good to know that God has buried all my sins at the bottom of the sea. And that is good news, isn't it? Corey was horrified. Did the man expect her to shake his hand? She couldn't. Her dear sister, Betsy, was dead, a victim of the cruel treatment she had suffered at his hands. I used to be a guard at Robinsbrook, the man went on. I did many, many wrong and cruel things. But after the war, I confessed my sins to God, and I know he has forgiven me. But, again, the man stuck out his hand, I would like to know that you forgive me too, Miss Ten Boom. Will you forgive me? This story gets me every time. Corey just stood there. I can't, she cried silently. But as the man stood there waiting, she realized that God had forgiven her sins. Could she do any less for this man? Oh, Jesus, help me to lift up my hand, she prayed silently. And slowly, mechanically, she lifted up her hand and put it in his. And as she did so, she began to feel joy flooding down from her heart all the way to her fingertips. I do forgive you, brother, she said with this week. Who might we need to repent to before we can invite them to join us at the table? Who might we need to forgive before we can join them at the table? So I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes, 
And just take a moment, not talking to God, just take a moment in, in quiet and see who God would bring to your mind to reach out to this week. Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to your abundant life this morning. And we thank you for inviting us to your table. We thank you that you hold forth the bread of life and the cup of redemption. We need your sustaining food today, your sustaining grace today. And our friends and family need it too. Our world needs it too. So thank you, Lord, for inviting us to come. Give us the courage to do whatever you're asking us to do. And as we come forward in just a moment, as we stand up and, and leave our seats and come forward to your table, Lord, may each step drive home our firm commitment to obey you and to honor you today. We pray it all in your name. Amen.